The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have a Bible and you're like, I don't know where Ecclesiastes is, there's no shame in going to the index this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our series in uh, Ecclesiastes. We've called this series, This Absurd Life. I have so enjoyed it. And we're now on the descent. We're about to land the plane here in the book of Ecclesiastes. I just want to say, I have been preaching for a lot of years, almost 18 years now. And um, this has been probably the most enjoyable book that I've ever preached. It's been so good. Every single week as I study, the Lord wants to speak to me over it. And uh, I hope it's been good for you as well. So we've got this week, next week, and the final week. And we'll be done in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't have a Bible this morning, it's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen. Let me just pray for our time in the Scriptures. Can we do that? And we just bow our hearts uh, in this moment. Lord, speak to us. This is your word. God, speak deeply. Um, expose our hearts this morning, um, fill it with the truth of the gospel and the joy of Jesus this morning as we teach. In your name we pray, everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen, amen. So as uh, you know, if you've been around, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, his name is Solomon, and uh, he's written this book as sort of a life thesis. And uh, his life thesis is that life is absurd. And he uses this word hevel 39 times throughout the book. And he talks about how all the things that we put our hopes and our trust into in life, when we really press into it, we find out that there's really no meaning there if all of our hopes are pressed into those things absent the perspective of God. And so he goes throughout this book and he talks about what those things are. And he says, you know what? Whenever you plow through those things and they seem like they're absurd, time doesn't stop for you to grieve over the reality that life is absurd. It just continues to go on. And then eventually you die and then bad things happen to good people. And then he comes near the end of this book and he begins to try to um, put application to everything that he said. And so far, what we've heard Solomon say about everything that's absurd in life is that um, we need to embrace the absurdity. We need to understand that the only joy that exists in this world is the joy that's right before us, and that joy is a gift called today. And so we heard that last week and the last few weeks. And then Solomon is going to posture today in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, this idea of wisdom. Now that we've pressed through life and we see all of these things that we've made idols and we've, we've given purpose and meaning to, once we see there's really no meaning in and of themselves, when we see that they're absurd, Solomon says, if you'll just apply wisdom in those situations, you'll find some meaning and contentment. So in chapter 10, Solomon's going to make his way through and he's going to apply wisdom in a lot of different ways. He's going to talk about work. <clears throat> He's going to talk about our words. He's going to talk about our leadership. He's going to talk about finance. We're not going to make our way all the way through chapter 10 today. We're not even going to make our way there next week as well. But we just want to introduce this idea of wisdom that Solomon is talking about. And when we understand this idea of wisdom, then it makes the absurdity of life seem much more palatable. Now, if you have a Bible, if you don't, you can read with me on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And Solomon said, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now, hold on to that. We're going to come back to it. We're going to start really in verse 2 this morning. And Solomon says in verse 2, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to 
the left. Now, all of you Republicans in the house this morning, don't go and tweet that statement. This is not a political statement that Solomon is trying to make here. He's not saying if you're conservative, if you lean to the right, then you're good and respectable. What Solomon is saying here, we need to understand a little bit of the context in the ancient world that we're speaking to. The idea of a right hand. How many of you guys are right-handed in the house this morning? Most of us are. How many are left-handed? My daughter is left-handed. My father-in-law is left-handed. In the ancient world, the idea of the right hand meant power. It meant respect. It meant honor. But the left hand gave this idea of weakness. And so Solomon is going to start here, this entire um, section of scripture, this entire section of this book that he's writing. And he's going to talk about how uh, who people who have wisdom in their life, who live wisely, are more preferable than those who do not. And he's going to call those people who do not, he's going to call them fools. And so Solomon's going to posture this. You can write this down. This is going to frame everything this morning. And here's his idea. Wisdom leads to contentment. Wisdom leads to meaning more often, more frequently than foolishness does. And that's his big idea in this entire section of the book that he's writing. But before we jump into that, let me, let me, we need to remember something for a moment, right? We need to remember because we can take a statement like that. I mean, oh, that's the how-to in the Bible. If we just live wisely, then everything goes right. But we've got to remember everything that Solomon has said to this point. Even if you live wisely, even if you live according to the book of Proverbs, even if you live according to all of the wisdom that Solomon has shared and postured to us, that does not necessarily mean that life is going to go smoothly. Solomon says, if you live wisely, it simply means you understand the hevel, you understand the absurdity, and you know what to do with it when you experience it. So in other words, Solomon would say to us, you can recognize that sudden death, the sudden death of a loved one, is a result of sin. And, and it should cause us to know that we should live every day fully present. It should cause us to know when we live by wisdom that, that, uh, that the loss of work in our life should remind us that we shouldn't put our trust in our bank account. We should put our trust in the Lord. Solomon says, if you live wisely, it should remind you that when you see racism, it's a violation that all of us were created in the image of God. And rather than be racist towards others, we should love each other, our neighbors, as ourselves. Solomon says, if you live wisely, then you understand that natural disasters that happen in the world are the result of a broken creation way back in Genesis chapter 3. And knowing that, we can then respond by working to redeem and respond store everything that was lost. Solomon is simply saying, when you live wisely, you can understand the truth of a situation and then you know what to do with it. It's important this morning to make a distinction between knowledge and wisdom as we're diving into this idea. Knowledge is simply this. We've said this before in this series. Knowledge is the understanding of a truth about a situation. You understand that there's racism in the world. You understand that, that people suddenly die. You understand that working more doesn't fulfill you. You understand that natural disasters happen. But listen, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is this. Where knowledge understands the truth, wisdom knows what to do about the truth, okay? And so Solomon would say to us this morning, there's a few things that wisdom is not. Wisdom is not intellect, you can have a high IQ, Solomon would say, and still make foolish choices. Wisdom is not success. People that are successful in life, whatever that definition may be in your life, 
does not necessarily necessitate that they made wise choices to get there. Solomon would also say that wisdom is not education. Post-nominal letters after your name does not necessitate that you are a wise person. He would also say that wisdom is not knowledge. You know people that know something about everything in life, don't you? You know somebody that knows something about everything in life. And Solomon would say, just because you're the expert on everything that happens in life does not mean that you are a wise person. There was this dead preacher and this dead theologian. His name is Charles Spurgeon. And he once said, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Now listen to what he says. To know is not to be wise. To know is to not be wise. Now listen. You can, you can know and not be wise, but you can never be wise and not know. And what does Solomon say we need to know? Well, let me just say to you this morning that at Story City Church, the well of knowledge for us, the well of knowledge for us is the Bible. We don't find knowledge anywhere. We don't find wisdom anywhere else except for in the scripture. We don't try to make it up. We don't try to explain it. We don't try to philosophize about life. We find the well of knowledge in our church in the Bible. And Solomon is going to say, you can't dig a well anywhere else and truly be wise. Why? Because the Bible will tell us the truth about reality. And when we know what reality really is, we're better equipped to deal wisely in all the days of our life. Listen to me. You can know and not be wise, but you will never be wise and not know about God. The way we know about God is through his scripture and through his word. Now, can I say something to you? Like um, in, in a young church like we are, we often have people who have recently come to faith in Christ. We have people who are just exploring faith. We have people who are very um, young in their journey of faith. And oftentimes we hear from people, hey, I just don't know the Bible well. And all of us start in different places, and this may not apply to everybody here, but can I offer a suggestion to you this morning? If you're looking for knowledge of the scriptures, my pastor does this every single day of his life. <clears throat> I did this several years ago, and I've not been in it in a while, but I want to encourage you and tell you that it's a great place to start. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. You can read a chapter a day. If you want to begin your understanding and knowledge of God, Proverbs is a great place to start. Proverbs is a great place to start. Now listen to me. The storyline of the Bible, don't confuse something just for a moment. I've told you before that we're not a ABC, one, two, three, this is how to do life type of church because we believe that the storyline of the Bible is the story that, uh, of Jesus and what he did on the cross and his work. The Old Testament points to that work and all of the scriptures. The storyline of scripture points to that one very thing. But somewhere along the way, in the journey of this story of Jesus and what he did for us, the scripture has wisdom for how to live the kingdom life now, how to experience the kingdom life now. The Bible's not just concerned with your eternity, like what happens after you die, although it really is. It's also concerned with how you can experience that coming kingdom now. And the Bible says the way you can experience it is through wisdom. And so wisdom is more than, than, than how-tos. It's really principles. Wisdom really gets to the heart of the matter. Wisdom digs down deep into our souls. So not just that we know truth, but that we know what to do with truth. And the only way we can know what to do with truth, we'll get to this at the very end, is by trusting the spirit of the living God to apply it. And it applies to everything in our life. 
It applies to your relationships, your finances, your intimacy. It applies to your, your parenting, your, your, your family, your emotions, your leadership. And so Solomon's posturing this idea of wisdom to us, and it would be important for us to ask this morning, so how do you even begin to get to that place of wisdom in your life? Well, can I say to you this morning that wisdom will begin in your head, knowing what God thinks, knowing what God thinks, and then wisdom begins to move to your heart. We've said this in this series before, but the heart is the seat of affection in our life. The heart is a seat of moral will where our affections and our moral will is stirred. So it goes from a head to the heart, and then what happens is wisdom moves to our hands and our feet. What does that mean? It means once we know it, once our affections and our moral will has been stirred, then we actually obey it. Now, if you're a parent in the house, you know what a challenge this process can be, right? I have three of the most wonderful kids on the planet, so don't confuse what I'm about to say to you, all right? I've got three incredible kids, and most recently, very recently, like within the last 24 hours recently, um, we had a situation where one of our kids was at a friend's house for their birthday party. And it was, uh, we'll just say it was like a Saturday night, maybe even last night, okay? And, um, and so we dropped him off at this birthday party. There were like seven friends and they were all watching a movie. And, um, and most of them were spending the night at this house. Uh, we're not a spend the night, spend overnight uh, family. I just know that. That's who we are. The decision we make. We, our kids don't spend the night over at other people's houses. It's just who we are. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it later. But so my wife went to the house and she's like, okay, um, child, lost in child, it's time to go. And um, he'd been over there like three hours and so he got up and he got really upset, like, Mom, I want to spend the night. And Mom was like, because it's a Saturday night, well, son, you know, we don't do spend the night overs. And um, also, we got church in the morning, and so we need to go. And so one of, this, one of, this, one of my most incredibly wonderful kids um, looked at his mom, and he got huffy and puffy, and he stormed off right in front of the parents of this other kid who we happen to be really good friends with. And so when they got home, um, I happened to be reading um, my Bible, which is what I do most all of the time. And, um, <clears throat> and so I, I noticed when he came through the door, I could tell something's not right on his face. I said, son, come, come here, come here. What's going on? And then mom walks in and she says, well, he got huffy and puffy and disrespected me in front of his friends and in front of our friends because I wouldn't let him spend the night. At that point, um, dad, um, dad, protector, uh, husband, like it goes, like I put on superhero costume in these moments, right? Like you're not going to disrespect my mother. You're not going to disrespect, not my mother, your mother, you're not, or her either. You're not going to disrespect my wife. You're not going to disrespect your mother. Son, do you know that it's not right to storm off in front of your mom and disrespect your, you, do you know that? Yes, dad, I know it. Well, then we have a problem, son, because if you know it, but you don't do it, then the Bible says your knowledge has not made its way to your heart to stir your affections and your emotions and your will to do what is right. And son, do you know what the Bible calls that? It calls that a foolish decision. And so the, the reality is when we process the knowledge of God, 
It should make its way to our heart, the place where our affections and our will are stirred. And the place where all of that gets stirred up is by the spirit of the living God. Now listen, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this gets really weird for you because the spirit of God is not stirring that up in your heart and you don't fully understand what's happening in your life. But if you're a believer and the spirit of God is is wrapping all these things around your heart and saying, this is the right thing to do, then wisdom says, now that I know and now that my heart is bent towards those things, the right response is to obey. Yet the problem is when our heart and our affections and our wills are stirred and we don't obey, then the challenge is that we are not humble, we are not teachable, and we're not consistently rooting out the inconsistencies in our life. And listen to me, if you're not constantly viewing life through the wise lens of scripture, I wanna say to you, you're gonna root out wisdom in your life. And you're going to make room for foolishness to take over. Like this idea of dead flies in the perfume. Look at what he says in verse 1. Verse 1, this is the message version, but I think it says it so well, so I want you to hear it. Solomon says, dead flies in perfume make it stink. And a little foolishness decomposes wisdom. Now, now just think about this. A beautiful picture, beautiful, this beautiful, of a beautiful jar of perfume with dead floating flies in it. Can you picture that just for a moment? Listen, would you spritz that? Is that right? Is that the right word? Spritz? Spritz this perfume. Is that the right word? Would you spritz dead floating flies in? Would you spritz? You wouldn't spritz that, would you? That's disgusting. That's nasty. But, but see, um, I don't think we, I, ladies, you can answer that. I don't think we make perfume bottles today where dead flies can get it right. I don't think we do that now. So let me try to update that, that illustration that Solomon is, is using here. Um, did you hear about the lady from Las Vegas several years ago? She went to this Wendy's in San Jose. Did you hear about this? She went to this Wendy's in San Jose and she bought a bowl of chili. And after she had taken one bite of the bowl of chili, she screamed because in the bowl of chili was this finger with a fingernail on it. Have you heard about this? I know, disgusting, I'm sorry, but this is gonna make a great illustration, okay? So just bear with me for a moment. The backstory is that her husband bought this finger from an employee that he worked with in an accident that happened, and he bought it, and they intended to buy it and put it in the chili so that they could sue Wendy's because apparently this is how this lady and her husband work. So here, here's the reality. Have you ever been to In-N-Out? Have you ever been to In-N-Out and you eat a double, you got, a, you got this double-double animal style with the vanilla milkshake, Shekinah Glory, let's go to In-N-Out after church. <laughs> And you get all the way through, halfway through this in and out double-double animal style, and there's this seven-and-a-half-inch hair wrapped around the meat. Have you ever done that before? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe not. You know what I'm talking about. At that point, I don't need a coupon. I don't need you to replace my meal. I'm done. I'm going to puke. That's disgusting to me. You know what I'm talking about? Let's reword what Solomon is saying here in verse 1. A little finger in a bowl of chili ruins the whole thing. A seven and a half inch hair around your animal style double-double ruins the whole thing. What is Solomon saying? A little bit of sin, a little bit of foolishness in your life can ruin your life. This is what happened to Solomon. Early on in life, he allowed a little bit of sin, a little bit of foolishness, to the point that it resulted in this self-destruction. And by the way, 
We see this happening all the time. We see this happening all the time in our culture. A politician makes an unwise use of resources and he's not reelected. A commentator at a speaking engagement makes a racist comment and he's fired. A coach knows that bad things are happening in his locker room, but he remains silent, and so he's fired, even though the first part of his career was incredible and Hall of Fame worthy. Listen, because I'm a pastor, I read about my profession often. Can I tell you, I read about pastors who make foolish decisions all the time. Last night I was reading about a guy who traveled and spoke around the country and he invited some of his youth pastor friends and their wives to his house and he planted this pen in the bathroom so that he could see the wife undress as she's taking a shower. He's now serving 10 years in prison. A little sin, a little foolishness. I read last night also about another guy who travels around and speaks and he would take young teenage boys with him to speaking engagements and now he's arrested on at least seven counts of molesting teenage boys. I read recently about a denominational worker in his 60s who had traveled to speaking engagements and he would sleep around with these women that he would meet at these speaking engagements. A little bit of sin, a little bit of foolishness can ruin your life. Solomon wants to say to us this morning, a moment of foolishness can ruin a lifetime of wisdom. And so in verse three, Solomon tells us that when a fool is corrected, he refuses to listen. And he proves to everybody that he's a fool. Verse three says, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. Solomon says a fool is just as easily recognizable as a clown in a clown costume. A fool is just as easily recognizable as an airline pilot with a hat and a set of wings. A fool is just as easily recognizable as a priest with a robe and a collar. The fool thinks he's wise, but everyone sees a fool coming. And Solomon says, but the the reality is wisdom is available to all of us, but fools never learn. Fools neglect wisdom. They may know the truth, but they choose not to go with it. So what Solomon says is we don't need more instruction. It's not that we need more information. What we need is to do what is right with what we already know. James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. See, some people want this seminary knowledge of, of education. Some, some people want this seminary knowledge of God, but they have this elementary walk with the Lord. You will never have a greater walk with the Lord if you know more, but you will have a greater walk with the Lord if you obey more. This is where Solomon's getting to. It's not just enough to know what Scripture says. You must do it. And I would love to say so much more about that. But listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. The point is that most of us have enough knowledge of the scriptures if we've known Jesus for a while. That if we would just be, if we would just obey it, we would be so much more wiser. And Jesus and both Solomon are saying that just because we gain more knowledge does not imply that we have more wisdom, but that's the right first step. 
But that's the right first step. In fact, the book of Proverbs chapter 9 tells us that trusting the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and fear gives us, I mean, and knowledge gives us much insight. I can guarantee you a formula for becoming wiser. I can guarantee you a formula for becoming wiser. And the first part of that formula is this. Give yourself to wise people. Give yourself to wise people. Pursue life with wise people. That's why we tell you all the time. If you're new here, if you've been around here for six months, this is why we tell you all the time. If you've been around here for any amount of time at all, you should either find a place to serve or find a community group to engage with. That's why we encourage you to get engaged in community groups. Why? Because we believe your life is going to be shaped more by rows, more by circles, excuse me, than by rows. You need people who are sitting in the circle of your life. And when people are sitting in the circle of your life, the potential for you to become wiser is greater. Listen, what we do on Sunday mornings, one pastor has described it like this. This is the air attack. We drop gospel bombs every single week on a Sunday morning. But what you need also are ground troops in your life to come alongside you, to remind you of the truth of scripture. You need friends to apply a promise of the gospel if you don't believe it, to point out a blind spot in your life. If you want to become wiser, you need to give yourself to wise people. But secondly, can I say this to you? You need to apply your knowledge of the Bible. You need to apply your, your knowledge and understanding of the Bible. We should pray for people who, who are foolish. We should serve people who are foolish. But can I say to you, we should never marry those people. We should never intertwine and engage our lives in such a way. I can guarantee you a formula for becoming a fool. Allow nobody to speak into your life and disregard the truth of Scripture and the application of it in your life. Solomon's going to go on here in verse 4, and he's going to talk about wisdom and work, and I'm not even going to get there this morning. But I want to say to you, I, we can look at the words of Solomon. And what we know is that Solomon was probably the second wisest person who ever lived. First wisest person, who was that? You know who it was? His name was Jesus. We look at the wisdom of Jesus and we know he was the wisest person who ever lived because it's said of him, in him, um, the ones who spent the most time around him said, we spent three years with him and we could not identify sin in his life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So we say, if we want to become wise, we should look at the perspective of Jesus. And here's what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't just think, well, Jesus did this thing, so I should just imitate it and do this thing as well. The reality is if we just try to live a life of imitation of Jesus, it's going to become frustrating and it's going to seem impossible. But what happens is the way to living wisely is to look at the life of Jesus and to be reminded that the spirit of the living God is the helper, the contributor, the encourager to living a life of wisdom. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said about him, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the trust of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of the living God convicts us, makes us wise unto living, 
reminds us of sin and righteousness. And the Spirit of the living God gives us the ability to walk wisely by knowing God's heart and walking in it. And the Spirit of God is available to all of us. The Spirit of God is available to all of us who know Jesus this morning. Begins with understanding in your mind. Moves to your heart where the Spirit of God stirs your life. And it ends with an obedience of your hands and your feet to say, God, I know what you have said. This is the truth of the situation. And I'm going to walk wisely in it. And we see it so perfectly displayed in the life of Jesus. You see, the reality was Jesus, who was the wisest one who ever lived. Jesus, the wisest one who ever lived, became a fool on the cross when he took on sin so that you and I could become wise and live a life that walks in the knowledge and understanding of the Lord. Have you placed your faith in Jesus this morning? Have you allowed the spirit of the living God to take your heart, the Bible calls in the Old Testament, hard and impossible, but the spirit of God begins to break that heart, mold it, make it beat again. And the truth of the gospel is that Christ died for your sins. There's a problem between you and God as you currently stand. That problem is called sin. If nothing is ever done with that problem called sin, the result is death, both in this life and the next. But God in his wonderful, gracious posture towards us said, I'm going to die. I'm going to demonstrate my love for you on the cross that while you still have a problem between you and I, I'm going to die for that problem. The book of Romans goes on to tell us that if we would confess our sins, we would trust in what Christ has done on the cross, allow the Spirit of God to take a dead heart and make it beat again, Not only can we walk wisely, but we have an eternal future secured because of what Christ has done for us. And the wise person in the room today that hears that says, I want to trust my life to that. Will you do that today? Have you done that? Have you come to that place in your life? you just bow your heads, close your eyes? We're going to be done this morning. We're going to close out with one more song, but I just want to invite some of you here this morning. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, the wise decision this morning through understanding the gospel, maybe you've heard it many times, to say, I'm choosing to place, to place my trust, my faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't make you say anything you don't want to say. We're not going to embarrass you. This is simply a moment for you to spend before the Lord. Say, God, I acknowledge what you say about who I am. This is the truth. I understand the knowledge about who I am. I'm a sinner and I've offended you. Jesus, I also acknowledge that there's nothing I could do about my sin. I can't make it up by being better. Jesus, the truth of the situation is that you provided the solution on the cross. That's the knowledge of God this morning. The decision, if the Spirit of God is stirring your heart, is to trust your life to that very thing. Would you do that this morning? Right where you're seated. It doesn't matter who's to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back. If you never trusted your life to Jesus, this is the moment to do it, to acknowledge that very thing before him and say, Christ, would you change my life today? Transform me. I submit my life to you. I repent, the scripture says, turn from my sin and walk with you by the power of the spirit of the living God the rest of the days of my life. Jesus, would you save me today? Jesus' name, amen. If that's your prayer today, we want to know that you prayed that prayer that you did some business with the Lord. Why? We're not going to embarrass you. We just simply want to help you begin to walk with God. If that was your decision this morning, at the connect table after the service, 
We want you to stop by there and grab a card that says, I've trusted my life to Jesus today. And we want to follow up and help you to begin this journey with Jesus, walking wisely with him. Lord, thank you for today. God, thank you for the scriptures. God, thank you for the words of Solomon. And I pray that we would be reminded this week to live fully present because joy exists only in today. God, I pray that we would also be reminded that foolish decisions will ruin that joy. Wise living, listening to the Spirit of God will usher us into that gift that you call today. It's called joy. Would you find us obedient to the knowledge of who you are? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.